welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Monsters. I'm Mike. I'm Allison. And today we want to talk about teens and vampires. Yeah. We're still in this deep dive talking about vampire films and all things vampires. And one of the things that we mentioned a few episodes back, or maybe a couple episodes back, was how the classic monsters, especially the universal monsters, going into the 80s actually became more like child's play kind of stuff. And and almost to the point to where they became kiddie movies and um, and they weren't scary anymore. And so we just wanted to focus on a couple movies, two or three movies, we feel like are really good examples of this transformation from in the early 70s, the Bela Lugosi romantic Dracula was still effective and scary, but by the early 80s, not so much scary, if, if at all. So the first movie we wanted to talk about was Salem's Lot which is based on the Stephen King novel. And it's a very, how would you describe it? Um, I don't know. Well, it has the typical, like, Stephen King, like, small town, like, very insular, and, like, something bad happens that affects everybody. And, um, yeah, it's one of those, like, double part made-for-TV movies, I'm pretty sure. Basically, there's a haunted house, I guess, or, like, a cursed house in this town. And the main, quote-unquote, character he comes back. He's from there. He comes back as an adult to, like, write a book about the haunted house. But then he realizes when he comes back that the house is being inhabited by a vampire and the vampire is, like, daytime helper, you know? And then the vampire starts, like, attacking the whole town, pretty much taking out everybody and making them vampires. So, yeah, in the end, it's, like, him and just, like, this one boy, like, left. Yeah, and so what we really want to zoom in on is really this aspect of the teenage hero. In some movies, they can be the protagonist and not the hero. So in this movie, David Soul, who plays the... Uh, the writer who comes back to the town he grew up in. David Soul, by the way, is from Starsky and Hutch, if you don't remember that. And he also had a hit song, <laughs> Don't Give Up on Us, Baby, <laughs> which was a huge hit in the 70s. Uh, but anyway, David Soul is in this movie. And there's a really good cast. James Mason is the sort of Renfield guy, like the, you know, the guy that sort of takes care of the the coffins in the day. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't come off like Renfield. He comes off like normal. Yeah, and then Lance Kerwin is the uh, is the boy, the teenager, and he's most famous for some of you people who remember the show from the '70s, a show called James at 15, which was a made-for-TV movie, and then they made a TV uh, series out of it called James at 16 because it was a year later. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, like Allison said, you know, it's it's one of the it's very Stephen Kingish. I think this was one of the few movies that was based on his book and he wasn't pissed off about it. Like he actually <laughs> was approved. He, was he usually pissed off? Oh yeah, totally. Like like The Shining, he hates that. <laughs> well, I know, and, I know about The Shining. Yeah. I didn't know it extended to like... <laughs> and I'm not sure if he it. liked Carrie either. Um, what about Cujo that he claims he didn't remember writing? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can see why. But um, it seems like it's just like a PSA about rabies. It just seems like there was a lot of movies in that time, late 70s, early 80s, that were based on his books. Uh, Christine was another one. And, and it seems like he was never really happy with the way the movies turned out. But with this one, uh, I remember, and I read about it recently, that, that this was one of the few that he was like, yeah, thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> the vampire in it, once again, you know, we're not so much focusing on the vampire because we want to zoom in on a different aspect. But the vampire in this in the book is actually more of a Bela Lugosi kind of no, vampire. No, no, it's yes, a yes, he is. No, I in the book. In the book, okay, yeah. in the movie. In the book, different. he's a romantic 
Dracula who speaks. So do they combine like him and his daytime helper into one person? In that, the book? I, I've never read the book, but I'm just I'm just going on you know summaries that I've read. So, but they changed it. They that was one of the big changes they made when they mm. when they made the made for TV movie was they made the vampire into yet again the phantomy gothic Nosferatu kind. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember as a kid when I saw it, I, it scared me. I mean, I was like, wow, I wasn't used to seeing the Nosferatu kind of vampire. I thought that was just a, a one-off thing, you know? And, yeah, um, he's weird looking. He has like kind of a clay looking face. Yeah. And the other thing <laughs> is he doesn't talk. So he's sort of like, I mean, he they say he's the master and he's calling all the shots, but yet everything he does is through the character James Mason plays. So, yeah, maybe there's something going on there, like you said, where they, they sort of took aspects of the vampire from the book and gave some of those lines to James Mason. I, I really Yeah, because I think, you know, in the movie, he's the more, like, outgoing, like, charming one. And, then, yeah, the vampire is just, like, he just communicates telepathically, like, through all his little drones. Yeah, and he hisses a lot. <laughs> yeah. He's like a hissing vampire. <laughs> and he's not really much of a fighting vampire. There's one scene where he hits... The, uh, the parents of the main teenager, he hits their heads together. Yeah, and, and supposedly they die, <laughs> they even, die. Though, <laughs> even though they just tapped each other. Yeah, that's like one of those, um, you know, almost slapstick moments, but it was lethal, you yeah, know? Yeah, it was great. But before that, it's cool because he, like, um, he breaks through the window and it's just, like, his cloak that's, like, balled up, but then he, like, rises out of the cloak. Like, that's pretty cool. Right. Those kinds of rules are really consistent with the Phantom vampire you know yeah. although i guess you know, the bell the romantic vampire can do that too because the romantic vampire can do the mist thing but anyway we wanted to talk more about lance Kerwin's character and how this became sort of a popular theme from the late 70s and then through the 80s where as we said in previous episode that the classic monsters were becoming more of kids things so i guess filmmakers realized hey let's not make vampire movies for adults anymore because they're not scared Unless it's like a Martin or, or a sort of a modern take on vampires. Since vampire movies are for kids, let's, let's have the main protagonist be a kid. And like I said before, the protagonist does not have to be the hero. So in Salem's Lot, David Soul, who's, you know, he's supposed to be in his mid-30s, he's the hero, we could say. <laughs> he takes the lead. But the teenager plays a really key role because he's the one who's knowledgeable. He's, I, I said in the previous episode that, you know, you get the rules usually by a wise character who's been around the block a few times and can tell you how to destroy the monster. Well, this movie has that. There's actually an older man who oh, figures yeah, out. Te- he's literally a teacher. <laughs> but anyway, um, he knows some rules. So he's sort of the wise man who knows rules. But then the kid does too. The kid is really into universal monsters. There's a scene where he's in his room and you has got all the posters. He's got Frankenstein. He's got this huge poster of the wolf man that's like really cool that yeah. I wanted when I was a kid <laughs> is that close-up of the wolfman's face. And he's working on some of the Aurora monster yeah, models. Yeah, he's got all these models. Yeah, he's yeah. working on the mummy, and then he's also working on Mr. Hyde, uh, which, as as a kid, I built all of those models. <laughs> and so he just, you know, he you can tell from his character that, okay, he has the necessary knowledge. What his problem is, is as a kid, no one's going to believe him if he starts telling people that there's vampires in this town. Yeah, his dad has always given him, like, shit because it's, like, a pretty conservative town, like you can tell. And his dad's like, uh, when are you going to grow up? Like, when are you going to be a real man, you know, and all that. But, of course, with a lot of these things, it's, like, the thing the person is criticized for turns out to, like, help out. 
Right, of course. Yeah, and that's standard stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, the town outcast is the one who saves the town kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, he, he figures out sort of on his own, I guess just from knowing vampire movies, and he figures out, uh, so there's, I, I guess, you know, the the scariest scene in this movie, I think it's pretty, pretty much universally agreed upon, it, are, are the scenes where there's these boys who have been attacked which for me at the time when I saw it, it was kind of shocking that, you know, a boy who was in his early teens would be attacked by, you know, a full-grown male vampire. Well, yeah, the first victim of all of them is a literal kid. He's like 10. He's not even like a teenager. Yeah, yeah. He's like maybe 12 at the most. And he comes back as a vampire and he's really scary. He's floating outside his friend's window and he's asking him if he can come in. And um, it's just really creepy. There's mist and... He's got pretty intimidating fangs. And, and the other thing, special effects-wise, and that's another thing we want to mention, how the special effects were improving over the course of these films. All of the vampires wear contact lenses, which, you know, at the time, you know, I don't know when contact lenses were invented, but using them as a way, as a special effect, as a way to say, okay, you know that person's a vampire because they have the little white circle thing in their eyes, you know, <laughs> that, that make them look weird. And then they have like dark shadows under their eyes. So the contrast with their eyes was very effective, special effects wise. They also gave them kind of like a purplish, you know, almost like what we would see like in a zombie, right? You, you can yeah. tell that they're kind of dead. You know, it's like, oh, wow, they really look dead. Yeah, um, some scenes they look like more blue than others. Yeah, greenish blue kind of thing. Yeah. So the the teenage kid knows to use a cross, and the cross keeps the vampires out. Uh, another rule that is used in this movie is that you have to invite vampires in. That's pretty standard vampire rule stuff. Uh, of course, most of the movies... 20th century uh, did away with that rule because it's kind of inconvenient. It's like, well, if you want a vampire to sneak up on you, you don't want it to be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to invite him in. Like, why would you invite <laughs> a vampire in your house? You know, so that's kind what? of a weird thing to convey in a film. I don't know. It depends on how you use it. Like, if you want to center the film more around, like, the action, yeah, you probably wouldn't waste your time. But if you want to center the film around how vampires are manipulative and they, like, gain your trust, it would be one of your main rules, probably. Yeah, exactly. Salem's Lot has that. But, oh, wait, you didn't say that the guy took his invitation back? Yeah, there's a scene, <laughs> there's a scene where the teacher, I guess yeah, he's, the he's, teacher. he's considered the teacher in the town. <laughs> he has a boarding house and there's someone staying there who becomes a vampire. And he's using a cross against him. And then he says, I rescind your invitation. Yeah, which I'm, that's the only film I've ever seen where they say, like, I take it back. You're not allowed here anymore. You yeah, know? which I think you're allowed to do that. I think you can rescind an, an invitation. And then the vampire, oh, no, in True Blood, they do that. Oh, they do? Oh, yeah, I, I, see, I didn't watch True Blood. Yeah, True Blood has the invitation rule. And if you rescind the invitation, they can't, they, they, they immediately get sucked out of the house. That's hilarious. Yeah, so, so, yeah, we could t we're going to talk about True Blood in a future episode. But anyway, we wanted to touch on Salem's Lot mainly because it's, I don't, I'm not going to say it's the first film that has a teenage protagonist. Of course, Martin, uh, but he's supposed to be the actual monster, but he's a teenager, or at least supposed to be a teenager, or supposed to look like a teenager, even though he's in his 80s. It's yeah. kind of complicated. But, but. I, I feel like Martin's a little different because he's in like the 18 to 20 range, whereas most of these kid heroes are like 15 and under, like most of them. Like they're usually on the younger end because they're trying to appeal to like the kid audience. Yeah. They're not old enough to drive a car yet. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, go on their senior prom date. Like, you know, they're still like somewhat of an underling kind yeah. of teenager, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. We don't really need to talk much more about the movie. 
per se, uh, because we're really focusing more on this thread of the teenager. Uh, the next one we wanted to mention was Fright Night, which came out in 1985 with Chris Sarandon as the vampire. And it's another one of these movies where you have a 15-year-old kid. And in this movie, he's... This one is more, even more so than Salem's Lot. This one really has that element of no one believes me. Yeah, it's, it's, li it's literally like rear window, but with a vampire and a kid. Yeah, exactly. And he's sort of spying on his neighbor and he notices that, you know, Chris Sarandon is kind of, you know, at least when he's in his human form, uh, he's more or less the romantic type of vampire. And there's these really beautiful women who are coming over and he's just sort of, you know, kind of a peeping Tom looking out of his window. Cause <laughs> like Talbot. All of, the, <laughs> all, of the wind, all of the women are so beautiful, but then he sees, um, he witnesses uh, the vampire attacking them and then he realizes, oh my God, you know, like there's something wrong here. <laughs> and he, you know, he's like, I just saw a woman get murdered kind of thing. So uh, that starts the drama and, you know, this one really, where Salem's Lot, most of the characters in Salem's Lot are adults. And then you have this one character who's a teenager, you know, who has lines and everything. He's an important character. Yeah. Whereas in Fright Night, the whole thing kind of shifts. You know, there really aren't any important adult characters except for his mom. But it's really more about him and his best friend and then his girlfriend or the girl that, you know, his love interest and they're all supposed to be more or less around the same age, you know, mid-teens. And he's trying to convince them that, hey, I, you know, a vampire lives next door to me. And he's not really having much luck. And, and all of the tension and the drama really just stems from that. And this is a new effective way of, you know, having a teenager be your protagonist, bringing all of the teenage problems into the story in order to sell the film to teenagers. Teenagers can relate to this character. Yeah. They're basically saying, well, this is what it would be like if a vampire lived next door to you. Uh, now, of course, this is 15 years after Count Yorga and Blackula. So now having a vampire living next door to you in the suburbs of L.A. or wherever they're supposed to be living is no big deal because we've seen that in films before now. Yeah, so Yorga and uh, Blackula brought over all their clan to <laughs> populate the United States. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, even in Salem's Lot, that's supposed to be New England. That's true. But, At least that's close to Europe. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and, and that, that, that's why it doesn't feel, because it's not like suburbs, like the way that Count Yorga and, and Blackula are really, they're literally like right in town with you. Salem's Lot, you still get the feeling like it's a sleepy little town that's... Yeah, in Maine, I yeah, think. Yeah, like, <laughs> of course. You know, sort of out of the mainstream, <laughs> and it's it's very historic and, and all of that stuff. So, But anyway, back to Fright Night. His saving grace, the, the main kid's... I can't even remember what his name is. Charlie, I think, is the character's yeah, name. Yeah, I think Charlie. his name is yeah, so Charlie. Charlie! Charlie! <laughs> As Amanda Burse is the, is the... She's from Married with Children. <laughs> Uh, it's a show she eventually, you know, became famous for. But she's in this movie and she's always on, Charlie! She's like complaining about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Charlie uh, finally gets help from uh, a horror host. Really, it's a creature feature horror host who's played by Roddy McDowell. And Roddy McDowell is the only other person who knows that this guy's a vampire because he's been chasing him. Yeah. And he uses his, uh, his late night horror host persona to sort of cover the fact that he, in real life, he really is like a Van Helsing kind of guy. <laughs> it's, it's almost like Fearless Vampire Killers revisited, but they're not as incompetent. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, like less a comedy. It's yeah. more action family style. So, and then the flip here is that while Charlie is the one, he's the protagonist, he's the person we've been w watching the film 
from his perspective. And we can share in his frustration and that, you know, no one believes him and stuff like that, which is, you know, that's where the tension and the drama comes from. But he's not, unlike uh, Salem's Lot, where the boy has the knowledge and the David Soul character doesn't. David Soul winds up becoming the hero because he's a little bit older, so he does most of the heavy lifting. But the boy knows more about monsters than David Soul's character does. Uh, in Fright Night, it's reversed. Roddy McDowell is the older, wiser Van Helsing, and he does know how to kill the vampire. And he does. Charlie doesn't know any of that. He's just sort of like, I don't know, some weird stuff's happening next door to me, and I, you know, all I can tell you is it's a vampire. And, <laughs> you know, and he's and he's just relieved when Roddy McDowell believes him, and they become buddies. And uh, you know, they eventually wind up destroying the vampire. Yeah, the part the part that always stands out to me is like when the uh, they're trying to like get the vampire with the cross, and then the vamp it's like Roddy McDowell with the cross, and the vampire's like laughing at him because he's like, "Oh, you have to have faith for that to work." But then the kid takes the cross, and then it works because the kid has more faith, apparently. Yeah, I guess I guess <laughs> the message there that Roddy McDowell's faith has been shaken. Yeah. You know, because he's older and he's just, you know, like, it's like life sucks kind of thing. Well, but doesn't he say at first, like when the kid first tries to hire him or whatever, he's like, well, I can't really do anything. Like, I don't know, he tries to talk him out of it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the movie in a while, but yeah, there's something like that. I mean, he's he's like a flawed hero. Roddy McDowell's, you know, he's he's kind of a broken man. Yeah, and, it's um, given you that trope of, like, he was, like, beaten down in the past like right, by his enemy. Right. And now he needs, like, the young apprentice to, like, refresh his, like, spirit, yeah. I guess. And, and that, <laughs> that aspect of the movie is really nice. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the best. I mean, their relationship definitely makes the movie for me. And I wasn't really blown away by this film when I saw it. But I, I did it. And I love Roddy McDowell. And so, you know, it was worth watching because he's in it. But, you know, I want to mention something in addition to just focusing on the teens. It's the special effects. Uh, because... By 1985, special effects were really starting to become more and more elaborate. You know, it wasn't enough anymore to have a vampire just, you know, grow fangs and and go like, you know, and like and scare you that way. Uh, now, in these fight scenes, it was almost like they were taking these aspects. And I don't know which came first, like with these Nintendo games, um, when you have to fight the boss. But it's almost like these vampire films at the end you can almost set your watch to it that the vampire is going to mutate or transform into some sort of boss. <laughs> and and they always, like, by the mid-'80s, this became standard practice. Yeah, so, they're you know, multiple forms. Yeah, so you've got this Chris Sarandon, good-looking guy, you know, and he's the romantic, you know, continental charm kind of vampire, just like I said, like a Bela Lugosi kind of guy. And then at the end of the movie, when they're doing the final battle, he turns into this crazy monster, like, <laughs> half bat, half rat kind of... <laughs> thing like do you want to describe it i can't yeah these vampire creatures are like when they go in their monster form they're like not sexy they're like these grotesque like monstrous looking things with like these giant mouths and like i think he didn't he have like dracula have some minions i'm not really sure about minions <laughs> but he definitely has a renfield kind of guy who's you know kind of Kind of hard to defeat, if I remember correctly. And then there's, you know, the best friend of Charlie, who's, what is his name, Evil Ed or something like yeah. that? And uh, and he's crazy. I mean, I remember when I saw the film, he was he was actually probably one of the best things about the movie. He definitely offered the comic relief because he just winds up becoming uh, like kind of a maniac yeah, he's really vampire. annoying. Yeah, like, he if just... you're, like, you have to just, like, appreciate his... Um, 
dedication to going all out because he's like hella annoying at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, he definitely took it to 11 with his performance. It's almost like Dwight Fry, you know, in the original Dracula, that scene when when the boat arrives and they open up the... The hold? Yeah, when you like look the into cargo. the hold. Yeah, and they see him at the bottom of the stairs and he's like... <laughs> <laughs> he's just kind of like yeah but that's not like evil and he has like that shriek he probably watched the original dragon and said oh i could do that like you know but like on steroids the other one we wanted to mention is a movie that a lot of people i guess just wasn't as big a hit when it came out it's called monster squad um, yeah I, now I, it's big now it's popular yeah i really don't remember it i probably would have been about 20 two or three when it came out and I just probably wasn't even paying attention but but it's definitely you know one one you know one of these movies that's made for kids and uh, even though they swear <laughs> yeah I mean they try to make them cool kids you know but we're even going younger now now we're going below 15 there's a bunch of kids there's like maybe three or four of them and they all have sort of different strengths or a team and uh, and there's even like a little sister who's yeah she's like five she's like five and she's, she's even part of the team <laughs> And yeah, she's cause she's the one that saves him in the end. Yeah, but there's this <laughs> tough kid. You know, they're all like, I guess he would be like junior high. He's sort of like the kid who beats up the bullies. Yeah, he has he's, a switchblade. He doesn't yeah. use it or anything. So but, he's a really nice, yeah. he's like a protector. You know, he's he's a fighter. And it's kind of neat that they, all these characters are one dimensional, but that character's strength is fighting. So his primary task in the film is that he winds up killing the bad guys. Whereas then there's another kid who's more the brains and he's the one who knows all the rules and and knows what decisions to make. And then there's a couple other boys that are more comic relief. There's like a somewhat overweight kid who's, you know, he's always cracking jokes and stuff. Now they didn't get the rights from Universal, so they couldn't they couldn't use the same makeup as the Universal Monsters, which is unfortunate. So instead they just made, they, they were trying to make these monsters as close to the original as they could without getting sued. So they have Frankenstein, they have the creature from the Black Lagoon, they have the mummy, they have the Wolfman, and they have Dracula. And none of these monsters are really bad except for Dracula. Dracula is really the only villain. Yeah, for some reason, Dracula is like the bad seed. And I think it's funny that this is the only movie I can think of where they have like the classic Dracula driving a car. Yeah, right. So this is, <laughs> yeah, see, these are the little wrinkles that we love to point out, you know, because... I think he really is Dracula. Yeah, I think he's and, supposed to be. And it, it's funny because they're really careful. Uh, the, the kids have a, a tree house, you know, tree fort sort of thing, uh, where they have their special club. That's where they have their meetings. And they have posters up in there. And there's no posters of any of the classic monsters. <laughs> in other words, they're basically saying, no, universal monsters don't exist in this world. Yeah, and, there's something else that yeah. uh, they still know all the monsters, but it's not the same. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how they sort of side-skirted that. So that in this movie, it could really be Dracula, the Dracula. And it could really be the Frankenstein monster. And, and it's not, oh, you mean from the movies? Because those movies don't exist in this world of, you know, of these characters. But yeah. yet they seem to know who they are and they seem to know how to defeat them. The makeups are really similar. You know, like I said, they, they went as close as they could without getting sued. I think the one monster that really doesn't look like the universal monster would be the creature from the Black Lagoon. They just kind of came up with a different design for that. But uh, the mummy looks like a mummy, and you know they, they were able to get all the iconic features of the Dracula so that he looked like Bela Lugosi-style Dracula. And the Wolfman looks good. I mean, he looks like a good, you know, convincing Wolfman. Yeah. And, uh, I forgot what in this movie, like, 
causes all the monsters to appear. Do they just appear just because, or was there like a portal that opened or something? It's a portal. The portal opens up. There's a way to send them back. Yeah, I know they get sent back through the portal. Yeah. I just kind of forgot how they all get there. Right, which is cr- kind of a cool thing. Like what I was just saying, where if, if in that world, the classic universal monsters don't exist, that portal is really a portal to a world where they actually exist. Yeah. You know? So they, <laughs> they actually wind up in this world. It's like a parallel world. Yeah. And there are monsters in this world that are similar to them, but they're just not the iconic ones, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Frankenstein <laughs> certainly is nice. He's a nice Frankenstein monster. Yeah, they preserve his innocence. Yeah, and he gets <laughs> along really well with the little girl, which is what you'd expect. Yeah. And the mummy and the wolf, the wolf man, you kind of feel sorry for him because he he does his best Talbot impersonation where when he's human, he he really wants to be locked up and he doesn't want to hurt anyone. But when he becomes the wolf man, then he just, all he wants to do is kill people. Yeah, and he so. even gets Talbot's wish was just to be killed. He gets killed twice, but he just comes back. Well, yeah, and that's like what we were saying uh, about the, the, when we were talking about werewolves in the universal monster version, where why does Lon Chaney keep on coming back as the wolf man? Well, this movie, they, they sort of, you know, it's 1987 now, and they say, well, we'll give you sort of a, we'll show it on camera, and we'll show <laughs> you what actually happens and why you can't really destroy the Wolfman because he, it's this curse, this curse protects him in a sense. Well, it keeps him cursing him, but... Um, yeah, it but, keeps him yeah, cursed. <laughs> yeah, but there's a scene where they, they um, he grabs a stick of dynamite. <laughs> Which and, I don't know how the kids have dynamite. I, I can't remember how they got dynamite. <laughs> and it blows up and the Wolfman gets blown into like seven different pieces. Yeah. And it's like, okay, he's dead, right? It's like his legs and his arms and he's just like, his, it's like all just pieces. And then you see... The the pieces are, it's actually pretty graphic, you know, for a movie that's made for kids. <laughs> and you see these body parts and then they just start coming closer to each other. Yeah, they just, it's kind of like iron to a magnet or something. They just slide back together. <laughs> yeah. And he just, he, he just reforms and then he gets back up and it's like he just, you know, it's very superhero-ish, you yeah. know, in the way they do it. Uh, that's a little side note on, you know, werewolfery. Yeah, werewolf rules. <laughs> to werewolfery. But, um, but anyway, that's more or less our take on this theme. Uh, we wanted to talk about how the classic monster movies, especially uh, vampires, were, what would you say, kiddified, you know? Yeah, or just made family friendly. That's our take on this, and uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave us five stars and a review. Thanks.